Thank you so much. Wonderful worship this morning as we've gathered together, and good morning. Love to be able to join with you now in taking our Bibles and making our way into Acts chapter 16. Book of Acts is something that we started as a series back in September of last year. And so what we're going to do for a moment or so is to build a bridge from last week into uh, this week. And we noticed last week that not once but twice... God said, in essence, no to the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wanted to head in a certain direction. God said no. Again, the Apostle Paul wanted to make a move into a different direction. God again said no. Have you ever experienced this in your own personal life? This morning, we're going to be looking at that and also exploring the fact that of all chapters, this is about women. If you wanted to study or do a women's study, now here's a passage for you. In fact, if you're involved in women's ministries, explore the depths and the breadths of this, and we'll be dealing more with that in the coming moments. But what I want to do is just remind you that when God restricts your movement, it's in order to redirect your path. When God restricts your movement, it's in order to redirect your path. As we noted last week in verse 6, Paul and his entourage went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Notice what comes next. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak, the word in Asia. You say, well, Gary, uh, speaking the word of God, the gospel is a good thing. Why would God keep one from doing that? Well, not only did he do it once, he did it again. Look at the next verse. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. A second time, God said no. Has God ever repeatedly said no to something that you were trying to do for God's glory? What I find is that when you come to the intersection of life, you want to go through the intersection, and all of a sudden you're given a red light, Wait. Don't rush the red light. Wait for it to turn green, and in the midst of the moment where you're waiting to go through the intersection, try to determine whether you were meant to truly go through or whether you were meant to turn left or in reality you were meant to turn right. Pauses at intersections are necessary in life. Paul had to pause. Not once, but twice, the light read red. But then all of a sudden, in verse 9, we noticed last week, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Paul wanted to go into what we now know as modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, and God says, I want you to go into Europe. 
Now, I had two different professors, Dr. Merrill Tenney and Dr. Kenneth Conser, both of whom speculated what would have happened if the Apostle Paul had opted to go into Asia Minor once again, or Turkey, rather than into Europe. Well, the result would be, most likely, no Luther, no Calvin, those Fingley, no Spurgeon, no Whitfield, no Wesley, and ultimately no Billy Graham and the likes, because if the gospel would have gone eastward rather than westward historically, well then instead you would have found Russia and you would have found China to be the launching pads for global ministry. And rather than our colonies being the place where the Whitfields and the Wesleys would demonstrate God's grace and offer revival opportunities, it would have been the West Coast as they made their way from Russia and China into what we now know as the United States, a completely different aspect to the way in which the movements of the Holy Spirit operate. Such are the workings of God, you see. What God does globally, and God does personally in your life and mine as well in the intersections of life. And so now we're picking it up where we left off last week, And so for us and now the next of our services, as well as for our live stream, we are one congregation in various settings. We dig in on verse 11, the 16th chapter, the physician Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. and following day to Neapolis. From there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia, on a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, And her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. When God restricts your movement, he does so to redirect your path. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. You know the needs here, Father. Just as in the prior service, for those present in this service physically as for those that are doing live stream, we're asking, Lord, is that in a very unique, distinctive way, you address us at our point of need. It's a wide spectrum of people associated with this congregation. And Father, whether under this roof or 
those watching either in this state or another state or overseas. Pray now that you will speak directly to hearts. These moments are important. So pray now that once again you would warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wheels. Again, now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and Him only. I'm going to pray these things till again now in Jesus' name. Amen. When Robert Evans, who had experienced the revival at the college that I had attended back in 1936, sensed that God was going to do something special as a result of that revival, he entered into a theological school but then afterwards responded to the call of his country when World War II was unfolding and broke out. So what Robert Evans did was he entered the Navy as a chaplain. And he became the first Navy chaplain at his own request to be allowed to leave the ships and accompany the Army and Marines on a landing on the beaches of southern France. Well, as he moved up and down the beaches on his motorcycle to minister to the wounded in this incredibly fierce battle, Robert Evans hit a landmine, nearly killed. His wounds were so serious he had to be evacuated and fully, finally returned to the United States. But you see, the burden of seeing people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior was heavy on his heart. So he did return to France with Youth for Christ, saw the extraordinary spiritual needs there and about, and this led Robert Evans to being the key founder and director of what would become known as Greater European Mission. What fascinates me about this is how God took a tragedy and turned it into a triumph. What looked like a no would become a yes. And what connects that story to the story that's unfolding in the book of Acts this morning is that this is the first gospel advancement recorded in the Bible into Europe. And when a woman by the name of Lydia comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, she will be the first convert to Jesus Christ in Europe. It's an extraordinary story about an extraordinary woman that's going to have high impact for God's glory. And what I want to do is to take the macro principles here and also create micro principles on how this happens to us in a very personal way. So there's three considerations I want to draw out for us this morning. And first of all, verses 11, 12, and 13, as you and I, as we consider how God advances his purposes, I want to begin with you now by noting what I'm going to call the surprising appointments that God has, he, that the way in which he schedules them. The surprising appointments that he schedules. You might have your schedule book all worked out for God to fill in as you choose. And lo and behold, you find out 
He's got other plans for you. He's got a schedule different than yours. And he's got appointments for your life far different than you would have scheduled for your life. Unique people, unique settings, unique experiences, all your own. But he scheduled them for his purpose, for his glory, for your good. So you're picking it up now in verse 11, aren't you? And as you do so, what you and I are doing is we are setting sail from Troas. Troas. And that was the seaport in what we now know as modern-day Turkey. Troas, where Paul had tried twice to head eastward and said, God said, nope, you are heading westward. In my schedule book, you're going west, not east. Now, as a result, Paul obeys. And what you and I have to do when God interrupts our schedules is that we need to obey. And so he sets sail from Troas. And what you and I are now told here in these verses is that we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. Can we take a look at Samothrace? Sure we can. Notice the larger picture as well as the smaller inset. This is what Paul would have seen as he would arrive in that setting temporarily. Now, what we have to bear in mind is that we are not tourists in our travels through life. We are carriers of the gospel through the days of our lives, no matter where God takes us and no matter how picturesque or ordinary the settings might be. This is Mount Figari Poseidon, 5,500 feet elevation, Poseidon. And while the Greeks in Greek mythology would view Poseidon as this, uh, one of their gods who would reign over this region, what you and I have to do is to realize people are trying to substitute for our sovereign God and take a good hard look at the design and point towards the ultimate designer and God, the sovereign God, triune, three in one. You can imagine now the Apostle Paul, he'd be so taken with this scene, you might want to take an extra couple of days and take in the sight, but you see, Paul's on mission. And when you and I realize in the travels of life, we're on mission, we've got to stay in keeping with God's timing, God's purpose, God's schedule for your life, for my life. And so now I want you to notice very carefully the wording there in verse 11. Setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. A.T. Robertson, his outstanding grammar, tells us that the phrase means to run a straight course, but it is a nautical term. It's a nautical term used for sailing with the wind in our sails, the wind in our back. The wind was at their back. And what's fascinating is that if they had tried to go eastward rather than westward, they would have been traveling into the wind. But by allowing themselves to pause 
get a sense of how God was leading, and then the light flashes green. They now find that the, the wind is behind their back, and it's going to be smooth sailing. They would take the same voyage in Acts 20, we are told, and instead of two days, it would take them five days. It was all a matter of the wind. The wind, in this case, is propelling them forward in the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Propelling them forward, and notice that they are making their way to Neapolis. Now, Neapolis is going to be the port city where they're going to then dock and they're going to make their way inland towards Philippi. You're up to verse 12. So from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, and we remained in this city some days. So for the sake of it all, let's get our bearings, okay? And let's take a look at the map. Try to get a sense of where we were and where things are going. You were here in Turkey. I'm glad I hit that one right on the dot because those on live stream are always wondering uh, how soon it will take me to get from uh, point A to point B. Well, here we are. And so leaving now, what we know as modern-day Turkey, we are making our way towards, towards Philippi. And you say, Gar, I'd love to see Philippi. And I say, okay, let's take a look. So look at the next picture, because we have been there. Our tour group had arrived there, and our tour guide, her name was Rainy, 60-ish, double degrees in archaeology and ancient Greek history, carrying a Greek New Testament with her. She was an Orthodox uh, Greek and faith. And so she began to allow us to walk around uh, these, these ruins up and down, getting a sense of how Philippi once was, you see. It was a metro area. It was about 10 miles inland from Neapolis. It was a Roman colony. And what's fascinating to you and fascinating to me is that Paul trained under the great Gamaliel, rabbi, skilled and schooled in the ability to write and understand Greek, was also a Roman citizen. And Philippi was a Roman colony. It was, in essence, a miniature Rome. And as he made his way from one spot to the next, he would see retired soldiers of the Roman army positioned there, gathered there, and probably asking, and how am I going to penetrate this region with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Always ask yourself, no matter where position God positions you, evaluate the zip code and determine how you're going to reach people in that setting with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's in Philippi. You're in verse 12. Leading city of the district of Macedonia. God's strategy for Paul, you start in the significant cities and allow the, the urban population to take the gospel into the rural and tribal settings. And so here he is now working within the district of Macedonia. It's a Roman colony. And so what does he do? He remains in this city some days. Why? 
most likely he's trying to figure out the landscape, who to talk to, where to go, and where is synagogue. But now you're up to verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, don't miss the timing of such things. He looks around. No synagogue. What does that mean? There are not ten Jewish men present in the city to form a synagogue. That's a tip-off. Now, once you evaluate and you figure out, okay, if that's the case, what do I do and where do I go? He doesn't view that then as a stoppage and turn around and go back. But rather, he says to himself, most likely, okay, where would people go? If they're not to be found in the synagogues, where would they be gathered? Ah, yeah. Outside the gate. The riverside. The riverside. Where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come there. Together. The riverside. Take a look at this picture. Our tour group stood right there. Right where the Apostle Paul shared the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who had gathered together these women to ponder the significance of who God is, to ponder what God has done, to ponder what God had written. This was a divine appointment. But so often, our divine appointments require effort on our part to be able to get to where God would have us be. Paul didn't throw his arms up and say, no synagogue, therefore I'm going back to Troas. But instead, he was stamina, he was strength, brilliant as he was, he was also physically capable of doing this. You know, second journey was 2,800 miles. How many miles do you think we might walk in a lifetime? This man's got stamina. And now he's making his way towards the riverfront. He's not going to be stopped. And now he positions himself where our group stood as well. And I remember Rainy, that diminutive Greek, as she, with her skills understanding ancient history, her skills understanding archaeological matters, with her her Greek Bible open, was sharing with us from this very text how the Apostle Paul stood and ministered to the women who were at that place, pondering the significance of what God had done, drinking in the whole aspects of the glory of God. Appointments in time, not accidents through time. Have you ever spotted an appointment that you had not scheduled in, in your book? Ian Thomas was the mentor of Stuart Briscoe. Ian Thomas tells the story of getting on a plane and being dead tired, so tired that he had planned to just simply curl up and go to sleep, and then he heard this psst. Then he heard another psst. And then looking in the direction of the sound, there's this man who had already turned looking in Thomas's direction and said, 
I'm reading in the Bible about Nicodemus in John 3. I don't understand it. Do you know anything about the Bible? Not an accident. An appointment. But so often our appointments may appear as accidents. That's part of the dangers of life. To get beyond the appearances and to see the realities. And so now, the Apostle Paul, tired as he would have been after the travels across the Aegean, tired as he was, most likely arriving on the scene, making his way into Neapolis and there to Philippi, and then finding out there's no synagogue. My philosophy is to the Jew first, and then also to the Gentile, but I don't see any setting by which there would be Jews, so where am I going to go from here? He then goes to the riverfront to find a meeting place. I'm developing a series of lectures right now for church planters nationwide in the free church. And they're in some challenging moments, you see, because of COVID-19. There are settings in which they can't gather people together uh, to meet. What do they do? In my lectures, I'm saying, you're going to have to create new meeting places, technological meeting places, by which you have new gatherings happening. Take advantage of this and make this your riverfront. Don't just simply say there's no synagogue in Philippi. Go to the riverfronts of life. There you will find appointments in God's schedule book for your life. COVID does that to us, you know. Not an accident in time. An appointment with time. Meeting places, technologically, are your riverfronts for being able to take what might appear to be an accident relationally and turn it into an appointment for God's glory. This is how we have to approach such things. Don't stop in Philippi. Go to the riverfront. Find out who's there. Divine appointments. As we consider how God advances his purposes, you and I note, first of all, the surprising appointments that he, God, schedules for your life, for my life, even though we hadn't planned it. And once you're working through that, you and I are ready for a second consideration. As you and I consider how God advances his purposes, you're noting here not only the surprising appointments he schedules in 11 through 13, but second of all, the open hearts he produces in verse 14. Now, this is good. There is this, there's this woman here. She is a significant woman. One who heard us was a woman. And this woman, you and I are told here, her name is Lydia. from the city of Thyatira. Camp on this. Where is Thyatira? 
Thyatira is what we now know as modern-day Turkey. Where was it that Paul wanted to go and God said not once but twice, no? Modern-day Turkey. Where's Thyatira? It would have been on the radar of where Paul wanted to go and not once but twice God said no. What's God doing? Paul, rather than you going to Thyatira, I'm going to bring Thyatira to you at the riverfront. There are surprising appointments awaiting your riverfront experiences in life. view modern-day immigration this way. People might have longings to be able to have some kind of intercultural impact. God in his sovereign purposes is bringing intercultural impact into your life, into my life. I used to bring international students home over the holidays. My parents had an open-heart, open-home approach to things. So Basel my buddy from South Africa enjoyed a Christmas together. Chuck from Malaysia enjoyed an extended time together with our family. Host people from various settings entered into our house. And as a result, my parents were able to bless them. Though they couldn't go to them because with our, our Down syndrome sister uh, at home, special needs family we were, we couldn't go out so they came in. And that's how we made it work, you see. That's appointments, not accidents, waiting to happen. And so here's Lydia, extraordinary woman, came from the very top end of the social scale, a purple merchant. Writer tells us the purple dye had to be gathered drop by drop from a certain shellfish, so costly that to dye a pound of wool would have been an exorbitant sum. And Lydia, wealthy woman, merchant that she was, she would be one for Jesus Christ. So now, Paul can't get to Thyatira, so Thyatira comes to him. We're at the riverfront, and so now here we have a classic case of immigration. And what we are told next in verse 14 She's a worshiper of God, but as of yet, her heart has not been opened. Isn't that a fascinating thing? She is a worshiper of God. She has been introduced monotheistically to the Judaistic God, Yahweh, but she still needs to know about Jesus. She's listening, she's pondering. She is processing. Ken Hughes. Ken Hughes tells the story of the time in which he had been busy for an entire week expounding God's word. He hopped on a plane and he brought with him one of C.S. Lewis's writings. And he prayed, Lord, if you want me to share Christ with someone, I'm willing. Well, Kent... He's a family friend. 
When he sat down, the seat next to him was already occupied by a young man who was reading an Isaac Asimov novel. And so Ken took out his book and said, well, enjoy your book. Now he pens the rest of the story. I didn't remember the jet taking off with the meal offered as I shared Jesus with a young man who lived just five blocks from where my formal residence in California was. Shortest trip to Chicago I've ever taken. So caught up I left the copy of C.S. Lewis's book on the plane when I left. Not an accident. An appointment. Even technologically. You find your meeting room, and now you share grace at your riverfront moment. And all of a sudden, even my church-planting friends say out outside of Seattle, wondering, what do I do with where the riots have taken place, or Portland, or there in California, struggling with the, the, the lockdown, shutdown matters of life? You create a sphere of meeting places, your riverfronts, and then you penetrate where the evil one thought, now I got you, I can contain the gospel, and you find new ways to be able to bring things forward. And then all of a sudden, if you can't get to Thyatira, Thyatira comes to you. And what happens here? The Lord opened her heart. Theologically, that is sovereign grace. Paul did not open her heart. The physician, this is, this is cardiology 101. First open heart surgery recorded. The Lord opened her heart. In other words, the externals of the presentation of the gospel and the internal workings of the Holy Spirit to implant the gospel, find a meeting point. And the meeting point is her heart. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul, to what it was said by Paul. And I was thinking about that. You know, the History Channel offered a mini-series about the famous Hetfield-McCoy feud, there's a lot of stuff I didn't know. What surprised a lot of people is the conclusion. At the conclusion of the series involved the baptism of the Hatfield clan. Hans Hatfield, known then as Devil Hans Hatfield. Historic feud was inflamed by issues such as civil war loyalties, timber rights, intermarriage between clans. But get this, at the age of 71, weary from life and the losses of life, Hatfield decided to give his life to Jesus. And the family says he spent the last 10 years of his life in peace leading others to Jesus, knowing he had been forgiven and ready for eternity. And the part of the story that reveals from the miniseries that, quote, even the most hardened heart can be made new by the power of the gospel. 
even the most hardened heart, can be made new by the power of the gospel. Got a Hatfield McCoy going on in your circle of involvements, tensions, conflicts, leading to confusion. Where are you, God? And then God breaks in at the riverfront, penetrates the heart, cardiology 101, great surgeon at work. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Maybe her eyes would have been previously glossed over when it came to the teaching of God's word. You can read the heart by looking through the eyes. What was said by Paul. Note the surprising appointments he schedules for you, for me, 11 through 13. Notice the open hearts that he produces. You're checking out verse 14 now. But there's more. Because thirdly, I want you to notice here the clear evidences that he provides in verse 15. When we consider how God advances his purposes, and somebody has confessed faith in Jesus Christ, what you and I can't be is naive. Now we want to be able to see, are there evidences of the fact that it took? Has the heart produced good soil for the seed to produce? Two evidences here that it took. The first, she wants to be baptized. So notice here at the beginning of verse 15, after she was baptized, she and her household as well, again, hit the pause button, camp on that one for a few seconds. Baptism is simply the outward expression, the outward evidence now of the inward realities of what God has done in your heart. It is an outward cleansing of the present, physically, illustrative of the inward cleansing of the spirit. It's something in the present pointing to something in the past, maybe moments in the past, maybe hours in the past, maybe years in the past. But the outward, then, is illustrative of the inward. And it's got to come from the heart that this person wants to be baptized, like the Ethiopian eunuch, where now, just as Philip had to evaluate, where is this person coming from? So now Paul had to evaluate, where is she at? What's she doing? He had pondered at the riverside. How do I enter into that, that dialogue with these women? And at the riverside, he, like a good church planter that he was, and our family spent the first 14 years of pastoral ministry in church planting, you figure out the where. Where are the people going to be gathered? You figure out the who. Who's engaged? Who's interested? You figure out the what. What needs to be said. In other words, what on-ramp do I take to get them from where they are to where they need to be? In my own personal experience, sometimes I talk medical, sometimes I talk baseball, but whatever it is in your own personal experience, view it simply as your on-ramp to get people from where they are to where they need to be, get them to the cross of Jesus Christ. And here now, Paul entered into her life. If he can't get to Thyatira, bring Thyatira to Paul at the riverside of life, Technologically, the meeting place of it all, 
and so her household as well. Now they're engaged. <coughs> There's evidences here that this takes. First evidence, she wants to be baptized. The second evidence, she wants these communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ to come into her house. In other words, open house, indicative of an open heart. Open heart, open house. If there's one thing about the realities of the Middle East in general, and the Greeks in particular, they thrive on this sort of thing. She urged us. The word urged carries with the idea of an intense emphasis. She's passionate. She's saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come. Come to my house. Don't miss what comes next. Stay. Now, what she will do is to explain Philippi, the city, and to Paul. She's been around the block. She knows the region. Furthermore, she will become a patron. Why, after his jailing in Philippi, what you and I are told is that when he got out of prison, he went to visit Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed in verse 40 of this chapter. When Whitfield and Wesley were ministering in the colonies, there was a woman who had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because of them. Her name was Lady Huntington in London, part of the royal family. God opened her heart, and as a result, she became a patron and financed their evangelistic efforts. Now here's Lydia, who is a patron, financing, in essence, the stay in Philippi, even though the Apostle Paul, tent maker that he was, could have pitched tents along the Via Ignatia, their concept of the interstate, Roman Highway. She says, come and stay. Hotels are bad. Come and stay. She prevailed upon us. They stood as an intro to Francis Schaeffer's volume. He and his wife, Labrie, in Switzerland. For many years, Dr. Schaeffer and his wife, Edith, ran a house of Christian hospitality called Labrie. They opened their hearts and homes of people seeking biblical answers to life's challenges. What is a family? Edith asked. She offered this counsel. Every Christian home is meant to have a door that swings wide open. Unquote. Lydia. And for the ladies of our congregation, physically present are those live stream. The physician Luke chronicles extraordinary stories of women. Mary, Elizabeth in volume one, Gospel of Luke, Anna. 
all the way into stories such as Lydia here. Onwards, you see the story of Aquila and Priscilla. If you're leading women's Bible studies, you do well to take the sum total of the stories that the physician offers about these women and see how it relates to life today. People need to hear it. So there's Robert Evans. You don't waste your accidents. You invest your accidents and view your accidents in life as opportunities, in fact, appointments through life. So as he moved up and down the beaches on a motorcycle to minister to the wounded in fierce battle, hit a landmine, nearly killed, wounds so serious he had to be evacuated, finally returned to the U.S., he's got this burden on his heart. What am I going to do with what I saw? Returns to France, sees the spiritual needs along the Mediterranean. As a result, becomes the key founder and director of Greater European Mission. And here's Paul. He's now in Europe. And the first to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is chronicled in biblical history. A woman named Lydia. And she will become the means by which he can now minister effectively in Europe. Don't overlook the Lydia's of your life. Let's stand together. So, Father, thanking you now for what you teach us. Thank you for the extraordinary ways in which the gospel advances and the lessons that we see here. Might be not in our, not our idea of what an appointment should look like. Looks like an accident. And then we find out it's an appointment. Looks like a closed heart. In reality, it's an open heart. We're prone to stop in Philippi. You say, go to the riverfront. And as a result, we see evidences at work. You're opening hearts. You're changing lives. Use each one, Father, in a very unique and special way to have high impact for your glory. We give you now all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.